It's the first time in the preseason that a lot of us have looked at the Florida State Seminoles and said, man, they are back. It's been a while. It's been a while. That's right. I think they're back. I'm a believer in the Seminoles this year. I'll explain why here in just a minute. Welcome to Always College Football. Today is the Wednesday, July 26th edition of Always College Football, approaching our 200th show. So an exciting time here for us, between Mark, Jake, Jack, me. We're very excited to be able to come to you each and every week with College Football Conversation. we got a fun show for you today. We're going to go through Ohio State. We're going to go through Michigan. We're going to go through Clemson. We're going to go through Florida State. Two teams in both the Big Ten and the ACC that everybody seems to think are going to determine the champion in those respective leagues. Now, Penn State will get to you guys. I promise we will get to you. We see what's going on in Happy Valley. We're excited about the momentum that was created off last year's team as well. But today we're going to focus on Ohio State, Michigan. Then in the ACC, we're going to focus on the two teams at the top, Clemson and Florida State. Also want to address what's going on with Jim Harbaugh. Four-game suspension right now that's been floated by the NCAA. How will that impact the Michigan Wolverines? Will it have an impact on the Michigan Wolverines? And we'll answer some of your questions, including one about SMU that I didn't see coming. Should be pretty exciting. We'll also talk about Brent Venables and his approach to offseason number two. Also, I want to continue to encourage all of you, and we have so appreciated all of you guys just making the rounds and doing some amazing things for us and helping us kind of continue to grow the show. Our goal is to continue to grow. We're going to try to put out the best content we can every single week. And the only way that we can grow is if you guys will take a couple minutes, go out, please leave us a rating on the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, doesn't matter where it's at. If it's Apple, Spotify, doesn't matter where you get your podcast, leave us a rating. And if you could leave us a review as well. Lindsay Scott left us an amazing review the other day. We so appreciate it, Lindsay, especially when you said you're putting your uh, plugs in and you're going to go on a run or whatever it was. We appreciate T Porter for leaving us a review. We appreciate all of you. Cole from Austin, Yahtzee, we hit you guys the other day. We appreciate that. Viral 1035. Thank you guys so much for taking the time that you've taken to leave us a really comprehensive review. It helps us out immensely. I cannot explain how much it helps. And we know that we read them, we will continue to take them to heart, and we will continue to press on and making the pro program as best as we possibly can for our listeners. So without much further ado, let's dive in. we got some over-under win totals and what's going on at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh's four-game suspension. Jim Harbaugh is on the cusp of receiving a four-game suspension from the NCAA. Now, this stems from an event that occurred just, I don't know, a while back. It's not, to me, I don't think it's the end of the world. Here's exactly what the NCAA is really troubled by, though, is that he misled the NCAA and was, according to them, untruthful as they tried to dig to the bottom of the level two violations that have been basically pushed upon the program. Now, you're probably asking yourself, well, you know, who does Michigan play in the first four games? If in fact, Jim Harbaugh is suspended, are there any losable games? I'll tell you this. The answer is none of the games are losable. You have East Carolina, UNLV, and Bowling Green, all three of which should be comfortable wins for the Wolverines. Then you bring in a four and eight Rutgers team from a year ago, to kick off the Big Ten schedule. Ultimately, this four-game suspension will not have any impact whatsoever on the Michigan Wolverines. Is it appropriate? I, I don't know. I don't know what he said or what he didn't say. All I know is that the NCAA believes that he was lying. Jim Harbaugh has dug in. Now they're trying to negotiate a truce on the matter. 
Here's where I think it could impact the college football world, although I don't think it's going to impact Michigan. I do think it could have an impact on some of the other coaches on the staff. It's also been alleged that Mike McDonald, the former defensive coordinator now with the Baltimore Ravens, he's going to receive a one-year show cause. So in the event in which Mike McDonald would come back to the NCAA or become a college coach again, that could impact whether or not he can be hired. And then most notably, the offensive coordinator for the Michigan Wolverines, Sharon Moore, he has long been considered a future head coach. And in the story, it says that two other Michigan assistants are expected to receive sanctions. Sharon Moore was one of those. The other would be tight ends coach Grant Newsom. Sharon Moore, if he were to become a hot commodity in the 2023-2024 coaching carousel, would this have an impact on whether or not he was hireable? We'll find out. I think that might be the biggest takeaway in the story. Look, Harbaugh made a mistake. Harbaugh didn't tell the truth. Whatever it is, it doesn't really matter. Michigan's still going to be a heavy favorite against every single team that they are playing in the first four weeks of the season. Could it have a long-term impact on the chemistry of the team that has high expectations? Perhaps. We saw Ohio State, when Urban Meyer was suspended for the first three games of the season back in 2017, they were really up and down defensively, but I don't think that was a direct result of the suspension. I think it had more to do with their personnel on defense and their inability to stay sound, but that's a conversation that I would push to the side. Michigan's going to be just fine. It won't affect them, but I am disappointed that Sharon Moore has been dragged into this because I do believe he's a future star in the profession and could very easily become a head coach in the 2024 season. But if these things lead to a potential show cause for him, that might make hiring him very challenging. Speaking of the Michigan Wolverines, let's go through some over-under win totals, shall we? Is this Michigan's best team in the Jim Harbaugh era? That's the big question that everybody continues to ask themselves, and I continue to ask myself when thinking about what they're coming off of. We're talking about the sports winningest program. Nobody's won more games in Michigan, but they just posted their first consecutive 12-win season. They just hit the 13-win plateau for the very first time, so really a lot of momentum created off last year's team. And you take into account, too, that 10 of their wins were by 21 points or more. This was a dominant program last year that doesn't, right now, feel like anything's going to slow them down. When you think about what they were offensively, they're a team that wants to churn you out. In the second half of football games, they are going to wear you down to a point in which it's going to be almost impossible for you to keep up. They led the nation in yards per carry in the second half. They also outscored Big Ten opponents 217 to 57 on average over the course of their entire season. That's 22 to 6 after halftime. So you think about this is a team that gets better as the game goes along. And what better example of that was their performance against Ohio State in the second half. Now, the big question, okay? The big question as it relates to Michigan. Can J.J. McCarthy take the next step? You, you know I feel very bullish about that likelihood. This was a guy last year that was rotating with Cade McNamara in the spring and the summer and in fall camp and in the regular season. They each started a game. It was McCarthy's show from there on out, and he got a little better as the season went along. The running back tandem, we don't need to spend a lot of time on that. You know that's a strength. How about the wide receivers? Yeah, you got to replace your top receiver. You got to replace Ronnie Bell and like Luke Schoonmaker. I, I understand that's not going to be easy to do, but think about some of the pieces that they've added. A lot of people buzzing about Tyler Morris. A lot of people love what Cornelius Johnson did down the stretch last year and Roman Wilson as well. 
I also am not ever going to be concerned about what Michigan has at the tight end spot. Yeah, you lose a guy to Iowa, so be it. In comes guys that will likely be able to fill that void, like Colston Loveland, and then A.J. Barner, who's another option to tight end as well. Offensive line, maybe the biggest question mark coming into the season. And then you look a little bit deeper and you realize this group, even though they lose arguably the best center in the country last year in Ola Ola with Timmy, they bring back 151 starts at the FBS level. I don't know how that's possible, but we're talking about a group that is insanely experienced. Insanely. When you think about the, St the Stanford transfers that they brought in and Drake Nugent and Miles Hinton, you bring about uh, Ladarius Henderson from Arizona State. I mean, these are guys that have established themselves as top-line players at their positions. And clearly with what Michigan's done the last couple of years, winning back-to-back -back Joe Moores, the offensive line is going to be a position of strength Yet again, on the defensive side of the football, yeah, you lose some really good players. I mean, Mozzie Smith, not a lot of Mozzie Smith guys are just walking around. DJ Turner, you think about Mike Morris. I mean, a lot of really good players on that defense. But man, if you look at what they bring back, I mean, defensive tackles, still a strength, defensive end, the edge room, how many guys that are in the rotation, how many twitch guys they have. I mean, we got top 100 players galore as it relates to the Wolverines. So I think that group's going to be just as good. Plus Josiah Stewart, interesting transfer from Coastal Carolina. I got to keep an eye on there as well. You know, the linebackers are going to be rock solid. They were last year with Colson and obviously Barrett. Those guys are going to continue to be a strength. And then the back end, Sandra Still and Will Johnson, one of the best tandems in the country, a corner. And you have some solid players at the safety spot as well. Very excited about this roster top to bottom. Now let's go through it. Now their total wins, 10 and a half. A lot of people salivating at the opportunity. We'll talk about Ohio State in a minute. How about Michigan? Now, we got to find two losses for them to hit the under, right? That's our game. When if you're in the middle, we'll find losses or wins based on where you're at. You're closer to the three and a half win plateau. We got to find you four wins. You're closer to the 12 win plateau. We got to find your losses. Let's find the losses. All right. East Carolina, UNLV, Bowling Green, and Rutgers. Do I need to spend a lot of time? They're all at home. None should be a significant issue for the Wolverines. And you go to Nebraska. Interesting game. We know what that game was like a couple of years ago. That's an interesting game and one that should not be taken lightly, but I'm not as worried about that one. The one the following week is the one that I would circle, even though I'm not convinced that Minnesota is going to be able to out Michigan, Michigan, still one that will be very difficult. Back-to-back -back road games at Nebraska, at Minnesota. Do not take either of those two teams lightly because both teams I expect to be improved, believe it or not, here in 2023. Then you have to go to Indiana, or Indiana comes to you, excuse me. Not a game that I would be overly concerned about. Indiana, will they be better? Hopefully, but I'm not sold. At this point right now, it's almost difficult to find a loss in the first handful of games for the Wolverines. Right now, if my math is correct, that's 7-0. Go to Michigan State. We all know what Michigan State has been in the past. Even a less than stellar Michigan State team has given an elite Michigan team a lot of fits. You go to East Lansing, it's going to be a difficult environment by far. The Probably the most difficult environment they will have faced as far as hostility. Maybe Nebraska's fans are so nice. I mean, they're, they're, yes, they're going to boo and they're going to be loud and it's going to be hostile for sure. I'm not sure it will be quite what you would expect from Michigan State fans. I think they get that one. I think Michigan State, we've talked about them. I'm not sold on the turnover that's coming this year, even though Mel Tucker is. I'm in see-it-to-believe-it mode with Sparty, so I am not willing to go down that rabbit hole. Purdue, year one, new coach. 
I don't think they have what it takes to go into the big house and get it done. You go to Penn State, to Maryland, and Ohio State comes to you in the final three games of the season. Here is where we separate the men from the boys. Not with the road trip to Penn State. They'll be up for that one. They will be prepared. They ran through them like a hot knife through butter last year. Penn State's going to be better than I think they were last year, given all the young players that played pivotal roles. Depends a lot on Drew Aller. Can he be the guy at quarterback that can elevate that offense to balance out that rushing attack? Defensively, they should be really solid. But man, this is one of those toss-ups, okay? It's one of those toss-ups at the moment. Here's the most dangerous game on the schedule. I'm not saying at Penn State. We know that's a dangerous game. I don't have to tell you that. But we noticed this last year with Ohio State. That road trip to Maryland the week before you play in the big game is one that does not need to be taken lightly. Maryland's got some firepower. They played Michigan closer than most last year. And I think that that group could be a dangerous one, especially to travel to College Park there in the second to last week of the season when everyone's talking about what a great win on the road against Penn State. And hey, get ready for next week. Ohio State's coming to town. Be careful of the Terps. Be careful of the Terps. And then Ohio State comes to you. I think they go two and one in the final three. Which one are they going to lose? I'm not 100% certain, but I would take the over with the Michigan Wolverines at 10 and a half. Let's go next to the team down south. Is that is that what Michigan says? I don't know. I know that Ohio State says the team up north. I don't know what Michigan says about Ohio State. I should probably educate myself on that at some point. But either way, a rivalry in which no love is lost. Let's talk about the Buckeyes. We know what they were throughout the first 11 and a half games of the year. They were a juggernaut offensively. We knew that. And Jim Knowles' defense looked like it was poised to be one of the most improved groups in college football. And then the second half of the Michigan game started. We all know what happened in that game. We don't need to go down the rabbit hole about how things went in the second half. We get it. We just documented the fact that Michigan's an excellent second half football team. They wear you down with body blows after body blows after body blows. Ohio State, though. Maybe I am trying to find the silver lining. There was enough progress made defensively last year to make me believe that Jim Knowles' system will really take here in year number two. They're going to be an attacking group. They're going to get after you. But I believe that group collectively will have a chance to be quite a bit better here in 23. We know on offense that they're going to be unstoppable. I don't care who the quarterback is. I think the quarterback will be just fine. And when you have weapons like that, that trio of game-changing wide receivers, and let's not forget about Cade Stover, who's the tone setter at the tight end spot. He's maybe one of my, probably if I had a short list of favorite players in college football, Cade Stover makes that list. I mean, the guy is bailing hay on Christmas Day and hurts his back. I mean, that's how unbelievable this guy is. He is as tough as nails. He is a tone setter. And now, if you listen closely to what Ryan Day has said about what his offense might look like this upcoming season, we might see a little more multi-tight end, a little less 11 personnel with three receivers, one tight end, one running back, maybe a little bit more 12 personnel, partly because I think they feel really good about G. Scott and Joe Royer and how they might factor in to that tight end room. Maybe we even see some 13. That'd be interesting. We saw it from Georgia last year. Georgia used it against Ohio State with some success. So maybe that's something they implement here to become a little bit more 
diverse in their personnel groupings in 23. But either way, the receiver core is just ridiculous. I mean, I don't know where, <laughs> what do you want me to say? <laughs> like, I mean, if you don't ask me, ask anybody else. We all agree. Everybody is unanimous as it relates to the weapons that Ryan Day has at his disposal. Who's going to be the quarterback? I don't know, but I know CJ Stroud, Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins, all were Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year. They all turned into Heisman finalists and they all turned into first round draft picks. Is it going to be Kyle McCord? Is it going to be Devin Brown? I've heard that that battle is closer than some experts have suggested right now. That Devin Brown, his mobility behind what might be a little bit of a question mark along the offensive line could be valuable. Not that McCord doesn't have mobility, but I wouldn't be surprised if both played at least early in the season. Defensively, we've already kind of talked a little bit about where Jim Knowles is. And we all know what they were for 11 and a half games. Fourth quarter of the bowl game against, well, I guess the semifinal game against Georgia, disappointing performance. But up to that point, it was pretty solid. First three quarters against Michigan, very, very solid. But 28-3 in the second half, not exactly what you're looking for, especially when you take into account the big plays that were given up and the gashes that were had on the ground. The good news is, yes, you lose a couple guys up front. Javante Jean-Baptiste, he's now at Notre Dame. Zach Harrison, he's off to the NFL. But you got JT Tulimolo-Al, what more could you want? Would love to see him play like he played against Penn State every week. If we can get that every week, look out. He'll be the greatest football player of all time. And <laughs> he's, he'll have a ridiculously productive season. But on the other side, you got Jack Sawyer should be in a great position to step up. And you get a couple of young guys on the outside that will likely fit into the rotation to add a, to kind of fortify the depth. In the middle is where I'm most intrigued. I think Michael Hall's got a chance to have a big breakout season. There for the Buckeyes at nose guard. Keep an eye on him. As far as the second level is concerned, they're going to be in great shape. You lose nobody, but you bring back Steel Chambers, Tommy Eichenberg. Tommy Eichenberg is an All-American. Steel Chambers, I think, really solid. But here's what's beneficial. They miss spring. So you've allowed two guys in CJ Hicks and Gabe Powers to get a ton of reps, a ton of development, and a ton of comfort at a position where they might be rolling a little bit more this year and that could be beneficial, especially as the season goes along. Biggest question mark on defense for me is still going to be the back end. While the secondary is not porous, at least that's the way I would describe it, not porous, we are expecting more from Ohio State in the back end. Who's going to be that super lockdown game changer at the cornerback spot? Could it be Denzel Burke? Because a couple of years ago, you thought for sure Denzel Burke is that guy. Last year, maybe not quite what we came to expect, but the talent is there. The potential is there. You had a couple other guys leave. Josh Proctor, Lathan Ransom. Those two guys, love them in the back end, but corner is going to be a position that I need to see them increase their consistency, increase their level of play to get on the level of some of the great Ohio State defensive backs in the past. So corner and offensive line, by far my biggest question mark about the Buckeyes this season. But can you match them point for point? Because that will be very difficult. The first game on the road at Indiana, that game's been close in the past season opener. We've seen them against Indiana. I want to say it was like 2014, 2015, whenever it was. That game was uniquely challenging for Ohio State, but it's week one. It's to be expected. Week one against Minnesota a couple years ago was a challenge too. But they found a way and they figured it out. They will do so again this year. Youngstown, Western Kentucky, those are all wins. Then you go to Notre Dame. Very difficult game for the Buckeyes. This was one that was close last year. 
defense, thought you made a huge, huge step in the right direction. And then you found out that maybe Notre Dame's offense isn't really quite where it needs to be at the moment. That game, we'll put a question mark next to right now. By the way, Ohio State's at 10.5 as well. So we'll put a question mark. we got to find two losses on the schedule. Maryland at home. If it were in College Park, not coming off a bye, maybe I'd be a little bit more concerned. I'm not, though. Not coming off the bye week. They'll take care of the Terps there in the shoe. At Purdue, we know that's been a difficult spot in the past. Purdue's in the state of transition, and I'm not sold on them being super competitive right now against the top of the Big Ten. I'll give that one to the Buckeyes. Penn State comes to them. We all know what this game looked like for three quarters. And we've seen really good Penn State teams, like 2017. They were playing great, great in that game against Ohio State. But ultimately, Ohio State made the plays down the stretch to get the job done. I think this is another very difficult game for Ohio State. I know it's at home. I know it's a challenge. But I really like what I've seen from Penn State. And I really like what I've seen from the Buckeyes. I'll give the home field advantage to the Buckeyes, at least at this point. So I will give them a win against Penn State. Here's a tricky one. You're on the road at Camp Randall against Wisconsin the following week. Maybe you're licking your wounds. Maybe you had an emotional game against Penn State. Will you ramp it up for what should be a very, Good environment there in Madison. I think they can. First year under Luke Fickle. You know I love the Badgers this year, but will they have enough in a state of transition to be able to take advantage of maybe some of those question marks on the perimeter for Ohio State? I don't know at this point. I like Ohio State in the game, but I still think that's a tricky one to kind of gauge. Probably one of the tougher games on Ohio State's schedule that nobody's really talking about. You go to Rutgers, feel good about that matchup. You have Michigan State at your place, feel good about that matchup. You also have Minnesota at your place. Feel good about that matchup. But that game, we're on the road. Be careful, especially knowing what's coming the following week. But it's at home in the shoe. They should be in good shape on senior day. And then finally, you go to the big house where I've already made my preseason prognostications about where Ohio State, where Michigan might be. I lean Michigan right now at this point because I've seen the last two games played between Ohio State and Michigan. Right now, Michigan has the recipe. If they played on a neutral site 100 times, maybe they each win 50. But knowing that game is played in the big house, I'm leaning in favor of the Michigan Wolverines. The toss-up games on the schedule for me at Notre Dame, at Wisconsin, at Michigan. I think they split, at worst, Notre Dame and Wisconsin. I think they split at worst. I think they'll definitely get one of the two. Will they get both? That's to be determined. Then you have the road trip to Michigan at the end of the year. If you told me, Greg, you have to pick an over or an under, personally, my recommendation to you would be to stay away. But if you had to pick over or under, I would take the under with the Buckeyes at 10-2. and two. It's going to be very close, period of transition. If the offensive line gels in the first month of the season, I reserve the right to change my mind at the moment. Let's go to Penn State. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be.
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Moving on to the ACC. We just did the two biggest bell cows in the Big Ten. Let's see the two biggest bell cows in the ACC. And by the way, it's the first time in the preseason that a lot of us have looked at the Florida State Seminoles and said, man, they are back. It's been a while. It's been a while. One team who you would think has now slipped based on national prognostications, the Clemson Tigers. My goodness, what I would give to have an ACC championship and 11-win season and everybody saying that your program's doomed means your program must be pretty dang good and pretty well-respected because everyone's saying that, oh, man, well, Clemson's on the downslide. I'm not going to get in line with that type of thinking. Granted, yes, last year left something to be desired. The offense struggled. Maybe the defense at times were not as dominant as we thought they might be coming into the season. But it was a little bit of a transition year. You lose Brent Venables. Yeah, I love Wes Godwin. Good one. I love him. I think he's phenomenal. Yes, things didn't work out. Brandon Streeter is the OC. But in comes Garrett Riley. And now he's, at least at this point, a lot of people feeling like he's going to inject some life into an offense that could use a boost. Let's talk a little bit about this offense. Is going to be an offense going to use some tempo? Is going to be an offense going to use some air raid concepts where they're really going to kind of dink and dunk their way down the field, but also they're incorporating some of the Art Bryles, Josh Heupel, downfield, get the defense in conflict, forcing them wide and then stretching them not just vertically but horizontally. It's the offense du jour in college football. Everybody wants a piece of it. Why wouldn't they? Look what TCU did last year with personnel that many people would view as maybe not quite to what you would come to expect from a college football playoff team. I don't agree with that because I think TCU's roster last year was pretty dang loaded. People don't like to acknowledge that. I know their blue chip ranking wasn't what some other places were, but if you look at how they littered the draft, they clearly had some good players on that roster. But when you think about this offensive shift, I think it's really a smart move from Dabo Sweeney. I think it's a good move to go in this direction. It's an offense that's difficult to defend, but I will say this. It is also an offense that at times has made life difficult for their defense because of some of the tempo that they incorporate. Let's talk about the quarterback situation. You look at Cade Klubnick, came off the bench a couple times, looked phenomenal. All right, comes off the bench against Syracuse. Now, people will say he was the savior that day. There were a couple of miscues that Syracuse had, late hits, personal fouls that extended drives. Ultimately, though, he was the one that kind of shifted the morale on the sideline to get things going in the right direction. And there was no better example of how he played when looking beyond the ACC championship game. Go watch that game. Go look at how he performed in that game with the downfield throws, I think he obviously caught North Carolina a little off guard, but then again, it was North Carolina. North Carolina, at this point, with all due respect to my dear friend Gene Chiswick and my dear friend Mac Brown, 
that was not exactly a defense that I was too concerned about. You're going to get gashed. They got gashed a lot. Now it's really going to be about Cade Klubnik being able to do so against the top teams in college football. Did not look great in the bowl game against Tennessee, partly though because the offense stalled a little bit in the red zone, so it was more situational football than it was their inability to move the football. I think he's going to be good in this offense. It's a good fit for him. He's scrappy, and he comes from Texas, so he has a good understanding of what this offense is like. Want to know why? Because every team in the state of Texas, for the most part, runs an offense that is somewhat similar to this. Why? Because I was a Texas high school quarterback. And by the way, Kate Klubnick's high school coach was my high school coach, Todd Dodge. So I know this kid has a lot of ability, and I think he's going to do a great job within the system. I still think the offense needs to center around Will Shipley. Every single time he touches the football is a benefit for Clemson. Now, the offensive line, I know some people would maybe push back on this. I have never viewed Clemson's offensive line as a group that is going to maul you. They're a group that's solid, and they are not necessarily a liability. They've been that way even in the Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence era. They're solid. They, they know how to coach around the offensive line, and elite quarterback play has made that offensive line better. I would never say that that's a group that's going to nonstop litter the NFL draft. That's okay. You don't have to have that. They just can't be a liability. I don't think they will be, especially on the interior. They got to figure out the wide receiver situation. Now, last year, I think Antonio Williams is a dude. All right, get on the ball, feed him. I don't care what you have to do. He needs to have five to eight touches a game at the bare minimum. He's a game changer. Very optimistic about what Bo Collins Maybe this year, of course, injury last year, weren't really able to see exactly what he was capable of, but I'm very excited about what his opportunities might look like in the future. And then Cole Turner is another guy that I think has a chance to be a difference maker, especially on throws down the field. See where Adam Randall factors into that, and they obviously have solid tight end play as well that became kind of a strength of theirs last year, and that hadn't been in quite some time. So I think the offense should be in pretty good shape. The defense... I do think that this is going to be a big thing to address because if you think about where Clemson has been in the past, super elite defensive line, and then very, very solid in the back end. Very solid. Maybe not having a bunch of guys going in the top 10 at corner, but they've been very solid in the back end and they've had very steady linebacker play. Linebacker play does not concern me. I think you can make a strong argument that both Jeremiah Trotter and Barrett Carter are two of the best, not just in the ACC, but maybe the best tandem, one of the best tandems in the entire sport. They're in the mix, top 10 tandem at the very worst. Then you look at the front. Tyler Davis should be great in the middle of that defense. Xavier Thomas decided to come back. I'd like to see a little bit more out of him. I think the ceiling is ex extremely high. Just want to see a little more productivity from him. I think Mescol is a good player. I think Tamorion Parker the new five-star edge defender might be a guy that could factor into the lineup as the season goes along. And then you think about, too, what might be some young guys that could become difference maker at Trey Williams and Demonte Capehart to kind of spell a Rook, a Roro. If Rook Roro becomes the guy that he always was poised to become, then this group could be pretty deep and it could be pretty solid, but your depth will be relatively young. And then in the back end, I think Makuba now, him being healthy, that's going to help a lot. R.J. Mickens is very versatile, very solid player. And then Jalen Phillips and Venables are also in the back end as well. Would like to see Wiggins become an elite corner. I think he has a chance to do that this year. But a lot of this is going to have to do with the pass rush. It has to come back to what we've come to know 
Clemson as. If that pass rush returns to glory, then that will take a lot of pressure off the back end, which in turn will help the Clemson defense as a whole. Their number is at 10. That means we got to find three losses for us to hit the under. You guys feel good about it? Because I'm not so sure I do. At Duke, first game of the year, very difficult game. That's a Monday night on Labor Day. The whole world will be watching. I think this will be a coming out party of sorts. Duke's a really good team. Even though nationally people look at last year and they say, well, they were the product of a really gettable schedule. Fair enough. You tell me with an off season of work, Mike Elko won't have some type of recipe for Garrett Riley's new offense. I'm sure Garrett Riley have plenty of wrinkles, but that's going to be a difficult test. Great cat and mouse game there in week one between one of the deep, best defensive minds in Mike Elko and one of the best offensive minds in Brill's Award winner, Garrett Riley. So I'm going to give that one to the Clemson Tigers. And you got Charleston, you got FAU, and then maybe the biggest game on the schedule comes in week four, early season tilt between the Florida State Seminoles, who we'll talk about in a minute, and the Clemson Tigers. Now, this game is obviously going to be played there in Death Valley. That gives you a significant benefit. But when you look at the roster right now, you look at the known commodities that Florida State has and the known commodities that Clemson has, right now, I lean in favor of Florida State. It doesn't mean the Florida State will win the game because the best team doesn't always win. The best roster doesn't always win. But when you look at what one team has versus what the other team has, I lean just ever so slightly in favor of Florida State. Now, we'll put that game as a question mark. We'll say that one's, since we got to find three losses, we'll say that one's a loss for now. I'm not predicting it. I'm just saying put that in the loss column just because we got to find three at least to make the conversation interesting. At Syracuse, we know that's been a house of horrors at times in the past for Clemson. I think it'll be a tricky game, but one they should get. I'm not sold on Syracuse this year. I think they might come back just a little bit. They lose their OC. They did more with less last year, but they also had a bunch of guys leave via the transfer portal. It's going to be a tricky rebuild for Dino Babers. I think they'll handle the orange. And you get Wake Forest at home. Wake Forest, a bit of an enigma right now. I don't really know what to make of them. They lose their quarterback, did so well. They have still have good quarterback play, I think, returning. They also have good weapons on the perimeter defensively. I think they lost a couple pieces that were beneficial to them. I'm going to give this one to Clemson. It's at home. They should take care of business. Then you get the bye week. Be careful with that Wake Forest game, though. Be careful with that Wake Forest game. That bye week lurking, especially on the heels of what's been a little bit of a grind there for a two or three week span. I think that's a tricky one. At Miami, big game. Big game. But right now, I like where Clemson's at more so than where I like where Miami's at. I'm going to give that one to the Clemson Tigers. Be careful there, though. Be careful. I think Miami's a dangerous team, but coming off a bye, I think you'll have a centered and focused Clemson team. I think they'll play well down there in South Florida. At NC State, another tricky game. NC State lost an awful lot on defense. They lost a lot on defense, so I'm going to give this one, even though it's right there in Raleigh, I'm going to give this one to the Clemson Tigers. Another difficult road game. I think they get the job done. Three out of the last four games on the road for Clemson. It's a tough stretch there, and then you get into the meat of the schedule. Notre Dame at home, very tough game. We know how that game went last year. Someone tells me that one's been circled for the Clemson Tigers the last couple months, maybe the last eight, maybe the last nine. If you go back to when that game was played last year, Clemson played terrible in that game, and Notre Dame took it to them. They challenged their physicality, and Clemson could not rise to the occasion. This one is a tricky one. We'll put this one in the question mark column right now as well. So now we have two in the question mark column. That's Florida State, and we have Notre Dame. Georgia Tech. This is a game I think they should win. Georgia Tech, great job rallying down the stretch last year. 
But roster-wise, not quite where they need to be to challenge a team like Clemson today, a focused Clemson team. Now, if Clemson comes out and lays an egg, could definitely happen. I don't envision it happening, not at this point. North Carolina, this was a game that was not competitive last year. And I don't know about North Carolina being as good as they were a year ago. Hopefully better on defense. Offensively, will they regress just a, just a tad, lose their OC, lose a couple of great weapons on the perimeter? I think they could come back to earth just a hair. I'm going to give this one to the Clemson Tigers. And then finally, on the road at South Carolina. Last year was an amazing performance by South Carolina from special team standpoint. But I think the offense was really problematic for Clemson in this game last year. I think Clemson has a deeper roster. I think Clemson has all the makings of being able to handle what should be a, I think it's a difficult schedule. A lot of people look at the ACC say, oh, no, no, it's not that hard. No, I think it's a difficult schedule. I really believe that. You go on the road to South Carolina, you know you're going to get their best shot. They're going to get your best shot. And right now, I think Clemson's best is a little bit better than South Carolina's best. But depending on what Spencer Rattler looks like in a new offense. But either way, I'm going to give this one to the Tigers. Right now, I have them with 10 wins, two question marks. Let's say we split the question marks. I would take the over as it relates to the Clemson Tigers. Let's move next to their biggest test in the ACC. You guys know I love Florida State this year. Some of my own eyes have seen the development over the last couple of years. have called their season over in each of the last four seasons. I have seen Florida State up close, and I have seen the progress that's been made under Mike Norvell. Last year was an amazing performance, and you think about how many games they had on their racket they just couldn't close. NC State, a good example. You get a conversion or two. Uh, offensively, you get off the field a couple times. Defensively against Wake Forest, that's a completely different game. You don't have a terrible six, seven-minute stretch against Clemson. Maybe the outcome's different there. So I think this game and this team, Florida State, is coiled. They are ready to spring, man. I think the playoff is definitely within reach. But of course, it's going to come down to going to Death Valley, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. When you have three losses that come by a combined 18 points, tells you that things are trending in the right direction. Now, they had a couple close calls that they won as well. But either way, man, this is a great, great, great spot to start. Think about how they've handled the portal the last couple of years. Eight all ACC players on the roster last year. Seven of those ACC players, all ACC players, were transfers. Pretty dang impressive. Jordan Travis is the star of the show. I think he's the second best quarterback in the ACC behind Drake May which is high praise. I love Drake May. But Jordan Travis, with how he progressed last year, it'd be hard to envision him having a season that would even regress whatsoever. I think he's only going to get better. I think his best football is in front of him, his comfort level within the offense, his rapport and chemistry that was developed with the wide receivers. There is nothing this young man can't do on the football field. And I'm really, really a believer in his Heisman candidacy. He gets a couple of big signature wins. I would not be surprised to see him in New York at season's end. The best running back in college football that nobody talks about is Trey Benson. Yes, some people talk about him. But nationally, he deserves more recognition. That guy is a monster. I think he is so powerful. And to be a power back with that type of side-to-side agility is a really rare combination. And remember, this guy's only a couple years removed from a constructive, like a totally reconstructed knee. This guy's special. He runs with power. He runs with aggression. He finishes runs. And he's great. He has great acceleration through the hole. I think he's so much like Dalvin Cook. It's unbelievable. I think he's just a really gifted young man. But don't sleep on Lawrence Toafili. 
his contributions in the passing game, the way he can take it the distance, he's one heck of a lightning to Trey Benson's thunder. I love their dynamic duo there in the backfield. You look at the wide receivers, went from being a massive position of weakness in 21 to a big position of strength in 22. Yeah, you lose a couple guys, Micah Pittman leaves, fine. It's okay. He's a great player. He's going to do great at Utah, but you bring in Keon Coleman. You already have Johnny Wilson, who last year, there were questions, hey, how consistent are his hands? We know he's got length. We know he's a problem in the red zone, but how consistent are his hands? Is he good enough from a route running perspective to be a dynamic number one option at wide receiver? Well, we found out quickly, this guy's a game changer and his best might be yet to come now that he's had an offseason full of confidence and an offseason to work with his starting quarterback. Think the sky's the limit for what he might be this year. Winston Reich's back in the slot. You got Darian Williamson, who flashed a little bit earlier in the season, and you have a couple of great additions. Like I referenced, Keon Coleman and Hakeem Williams, a five-star guy coming up from Fort Lauderdale, one of the highest recruits in the country at the wide receiver spot. The one guy that I'm most intrigued by, though, as it relates to Florida State's weapons, Jaheim Bell, transferred from South Carolina. Very versatile player. Extremely versatile. Now, buy-in will be important. He's going to have to be on board. Now, he's going to be featured in this offense. Very few people do a better job than Mike Norvell in taking his little, little Swiss Army knives and moving them around and finding ways to get them involved. Remember, this is a guy last year that for South Carolina, he had 72 carries. So he's a tight end. He's an H-back. He's a fullback. He's a running back. He can do anything. And he can create a lot of mismatches for you. So I look forward to seeing how he gets incorporated in this offense because I think he's got a chance to be a featured player and maybe an all-purpose, all-ACC type of candidate, maybe even all-American. If he gets used to his potential and he performs up to his potential, there's no telling what he can do. Defensively is a very exciting spot. By the way, offensive line should be in great shape. They have Alex Atkins. I think he's one of the best offensive line coaches in the country. Defensively, Adam Fuller's group really improved a lot. I mean, they really improved a lot. Now, there was a little period there in the middle of the season where they weren't quite as good against the run, but I think part of that had to do with Fabian Lovett not being available there at defensive tackle. Jared Verse, All-American, unanimous All-American, guy can take over the game, but do not sleep on Patrick Payton. Nobody wants to talk about this guy. Everyone's about Jared Verse, Jared Verse, Jared Verse. Jared Verse amazing. I love him, and I would welcome him to my NFL roster if given the opportunity next year, but don't sleep on the ACC Newcomer of the Year, he might be a guy that if all the attention's going to Jared Verse, I'm telling you, watch out for this number 11 guy. He's a problem for most defenders. They got adequate depth, too, when taking into account what they brought in in the transfer portal. Bring Daryl uh, Jackson from Miami. Bring in Gilbert Edmond from South Carolina, both of which I think have potential. Just need to see a little bit more out of them. And then you bring in Brandon Fit Braden Fisk from Western Michigan, who's going to be that you know, blue collar, hard hat, lunch pail guy in the middle of the defense alongside Fabian Lovett. It's going to be tough to run against those two guys in the middle of that defense if they can stay healthy. They bring back everybody at the second level and they do miss Jamie Robinson in the back end. He was a really instinctive player, but they have a lot of really good pieces back as well. Akeem Dent, Renardo Green, Jerry and Jones, Greedy Vance, all those guys return. And you add Fentrell Cypress from Virginia who was recruited by everybody. This guy is a lockdown corner. Uh, turned down Ohio State, turned down LSU, said Florida State's where I want to go, and he has a chance to eliminate one side of the field for the back end of this defense. Let's go through the schedule. They are at nine and a half. We got to find three losses for him. Y'all think we can do it? Do you think we can do it? LSU, week one, 
What an incredible game to start the season. That'll be Sunday night. Everybody and their brother will be watching, self-included. Cannot wait to see this one from Orlando. Let's put that one in the question mark category for right now. Southern Miss at home should be a win. At Boston College should be a win. All due respect to Jeff Halfley and co. I don't think they are ready for what they're going to get from the Seminoles this year. Then you go to Clemson. We've talked about that one. I put it in the question mark column for the Clemson Tigers. I'll put it in the question mark column for the Florida State Seminoles as well. Then you get your bye week, much needed, after a start that includes two teams that would be in my top 10, top 12 in the preseason. Virginia Tech, not sure they're quite ready yet. They're in the doke. I like the Knolls there. Syracuse, at home, love the Knolls there. Duke, at home, love the Knolls there. At Wake Forest, now this has been an offense that has given Florida State a lot of fits the last couple of years. Have they figured them out? We will find out. I think Wake Forest is going to take a little bit of a step back. So I like the Knolls to take care of business on the road in Winston-Salem. Then you go to Pitt. Very difficult game. Probably one of the toughest games that nobody's really going to talk about. We've seen Pitt spoil seasons so many different times in the past. So this would be one that I'll put in the question mark column at the moment. You got North Florida after that and Miami. Miami, excuse me, is right after Pitt. And then you have North Florida. I think Miami, you look at how that game went last year. It was a one-sided affair. Miami will be more competitive, but I don't think they're quite to the point in which they can really challenge the Seminoles, especially on the road. I like the Seminoles there. I obviously like them against North Alabama. And then finally, you go to the Swamp to take on the Gators. We all know that I'm a believer in the Gators down the road. I just don't believe in them here in 23. I think they get that win, but I expect that game to be closer. That's a proud Florida team. They'll play hard in that game. I just don't think the gap is closable just yet based on where those two teams are at right now. So we have three in the question mark call. LSU, Clemson, Pitt. I think at worst, at worst, you get a split between Clemson and Pitt. I'm going to give you Pitt. If you want me to be completely honest, I'm going to give it to you. I think it's a tough game, but I'm not sold on Phil Dracovic. I think they'll be solid, but I'm not sold on Pitt this year. I think they'll be solid, difficult game, difficult place to play. Could be in, in line for maybe a little bit of a letdown. I think they get that one. Let's say they lose the Clemson game. Let's say they lose the LSU game. They're still 10-2. and two. And an opportunity to win the ACC if things play out the way they play out. So I'm taking the over with the Florida State Seminoles because I look at the schedule, man. I think things are really set up well for them. But getting off to a great start and having a terrific September is at the highest priority. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As always, we so appreciate all of you sending questions into our mailbag, alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. We really appreciate y'all's input. We want this show to feel like yours. So if you have a question that's on your mind, I don't care what it's about. And we've gotten questions from the United Kingdom. We've gotten questions from all over the world, to be honest with you. So if your question's about you know, where Northern Illinois is going to finish in the MAC. Like we will answer that. We'll entertain that question. You just send it in. You tell us what you want to talk about and we will hit it. Coos, where are we going today? All right. First one is from me. Where's Northern Illinois going to finish in the MAC? <laughs> First, why not? <laughs> 
First question comes from Daniel in Boulder, Colorado. The American just had several of their best teams leave for the Big 12. SMU will possibly jump to the Pac-12 in future years. Is 2024 SMU's best chance to make the college football playoffs? Historically, a G5 team needs a couple of seasons to prove the committee they are worthy. Is there a chance for SMU to have a breakout season this year and then make a playoff run in 2024 with 12 teams? You've used the word historically, which I think is an important word that we need to focus on when it comes to the question about SMU or Tulane or any of the any of the non-autonomous five conference champions. Because historically, we've operated in a two, a one, a you know a a a vote after the season. Those are the way we crown national champions. Then in 2014, we implemented the four-team playoff. But there were no automatic qualifiers. But in 2024, we're moving into an era in which there's the autonomous five. The winners of those five leagues will get invited into the playoff. And you get that non-autonomous five, the group of five team, if you will, that wins their league and will also get into the college football playoff. So the answer to your question, Daniel, is yes, 2024 is the best chance that SMU, Tulane, Temple, East Carolina, UAB, any team that has ever not been in the SEC, the Big 12, the Pac-12, the Big 10, the ACC, any team that's not in the biggest leagues, they are going to have the best chance they've ever had to make the college football playoff. And to be honest with you, nothing that you've done leading up to now or next year is going to impact how your team is evaluated because all you got to do is take care of business that season and be the highest ranked group of five or non-autonomous five team and you'll be in the playoff automatically. So I actually disagree with this. That's what they need to create momentum this year in order to get a great shot next year. They need to have the perception changed about what they need to be by playing well this year. And then ultimately they'll have some momentum and maybe that'll help them out down the road. I disagree with that completely. UTSA, they could go 12 and 0 this year, 13 and 0 in the American could happen. I don't think it's likely, but it could happen. And guess what? They still will be at the mercy of what happens in the power five. But next year, UTSA goes 12 and 0. 13 and 0, it won't matter because they're automatically in. So I think SMU's in a great spot in the long term. They have tremendous resources. They're very committed to NIL. They're in a talent-rich part of the country. They've done a great job of taking advantage of transfer portal players, like so many other teams. Guys from Dallas go elsewhere for their initial college stop. You know, I'm homesick. I want to go home. I'll go play in Dallas. They've embraced Dallas. They've embraced the big D on the side of their logo. And this is a place that has won championships in the past. Now people say, well, you know, did they really win championships? Did they buy championships? Fine. I don't care. It doesn't matter. They have a, 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 a history that few teams at that level, non-autonomous five have. So I think they're in great position moving forward. And like all teams, all 66 of them, however many there are, all those teams are in a great spot to control their own destiny moving forward, starting with the expansion to a 12-team lead, 12, 12-team playoff, excuse me. That would be the ultimate comeback story. 30 years later, SMU makes the first 12-team playoff after having to shut down the program. It'd be amazing. I'm rooting for it. Hope it happens. Next question comes from Tavi in Mississippi. 
Coach Venables has somewhat been brass about his comments about other coaches like Coach Mario and Coach Prime, but isn't that going to put pressure on him in the long run if he does not win? He did walk into a much better situation than Prime, and he's going to the SEC soon. Are you surprised by how much chatter he has created after going 6-7? and seven? Here's my question. Did he actually walk into a better situation? Because I, I, I don't agree with that. I actually thought he walked into a more difficult situation than what Dion is inheriting in Boulder, Colorado. And it's not based on the roster. There's nothing to do with the personnel that Colorado had versus the personnel that Oklahoma had. But Oklahoma was a perennial playoff contender. So there was really only one direction to go when Brent Venables took over there in Norman, Oklahoma. Meanwhile, Deion Sanders is walking into a situation where they won just one game. So even if he wins three this year, they might throw a parade in Boulder because of the significant improvement his team made from year, from where they were prior to his arrival to where they are right now and the perception of where they're going here in the very near future. So I don't align with, well, he walked into a better situation. Yeah, he walked into a better roster. And then that roster was basically dismantled in some ways and you lost a couple of your best players because other coaches sensed that there was blood in the water. Caleb Williams wanted to play for Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley bolted, as did Caleb Williams. So I don't think that he walked into a great situation. You think he walked into a pressure-packed situation because many Oklahoma fans, we try to tell you here on this program, said, I hope Brent Venables wins every game. But if he doesn't, people are going to be remarkably disappointed. They thought that Brent Venables was an automatic upgrade over Lincoln Riley. That's not fair. That's, that's not possible. Lincoln Riley did an amazing job in his time at Oklahoma. And he did an amazing job in his first year at SC. Venables needs to focus on him. And while, yes, there's going to be some shade, I think he's probably frustrated with the amount of attention that Deion Sanders has received at Colorado and the amount of attention that Mario Cristobal, both all publicity is good publicity, according to some people. I don't necessarily align with that level of thinking, but some people believe that to be true. And there's been a lot of buzz made about the additions that, Mario Cristobal's made this offseason, whether it be coordinator or transfer portal additions and just how the roster has gotten quite a bit better this year. And not as many people are talking about the additions that Oklahoma's had this year. I think their roster is a lot better this year. I think they're going to be a lot more competitive this year. And I really believe that Oklahoma is going to bounce back in a big way here in 23. So I think Brent Venables knows exactly what he's doing. He's going in the right direction. I think he understands what it's going to take to be successful, not just at Oklahoma in the Big 12, but also at Oklahoma in the SEC. So the best is yet to come for him, but I would advise him, hey, man, don't worry about anywhere else. Worry about what you got. And I think what you got is a pretty dang competitive roster this year. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please continue to like rate and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. And if you're here with us via the YouTube channel, leave a comment. We'll try to read those comments and we'll try to make sure that we adapt the show to your needs. We can't tell you how much we appreciate the support we've gained in the last year. And we look forward to doing year number two way better than we did year number one. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have an amazing day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.